Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number two of Conversations in Momentum, brought to you by the team at Momentum Transport Consultancy. I'm Maylis Garden. And I'm Joe Tang. Now we've got a very exciting podcast coming up today because our very own Momentum City has just been launched and is now open to visitors. As a listener, if you haven't already visited, you can take a look at www.momentum-city.com. And more specifically today, we're going to be exploring two of the foundations that our city is built on. It's hopefully no surprise uh, that there also happen to be two of the key issues that we focus on in all of our work at Momentum. And these are, one, a commitment to society and two, a commitment to the environment. And to talk about these, we're joined by a very special guest, someone very well known in the industry. It's Momentum's Managing Director, Roy McGowan. Roy is a founding director at Momentum with a passion for designing world-class transport solutions for cities. He has a career spanning 40 years and projects across the Americas, Middle East, Asia, and South Africa. In London, his experience includes the London 2012 Bid and Delivery, Victoria Nova, Olympia, and the Museum of London. So welcome, Roy. It's absolutely brilliant to have you on the show today, and thank you very much for joining us. Hello, Joe. Hi, Maylise. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me, and um, uh, thank you for such a grand introduction. Um, <laughs> that's very, very generous of you. So I get to ask the first question, and I was, I'm actually really quite pleased with that one, because that's probably one I've been wanting to ask for a long time. Um, I'd like to hear, we'd like to hear an interesting fact or, or story, Roy, and if you were able to tell us something about your most memorable transport-related experience, that'd be a great start, please. Um, for, for me, one of the most memorable um, uh, experiences of, of my transport planning work was being asked in late 2003 to, to, to help draft out and set out um, a transport strategy for London bidding for the Olympic Games for 2012. And it really was a blank sheet of paper. And it was... Uh, just such a rewarding experience to be working through how 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 the games have been delivered in other cities, what it was that London could do and bring through that would be unique. And uh, we very quickly got to the position of saying we could be, uh, with regards to all spectators, we could be car free. Um, in fact, we, we, we had that benefit and that we should uh, build on that. And then we needed to really understand the capacity and capability of our public transport systems. And we worked with um, uh, an excellent person who had been involved in the Sydney Games, who, who, who kind of gave us some guidance to say, make sure you don't, don't get drawn down into the delivery of projects that you don't centrally need. And I think one of the things I reflect on with that is that it was being suggested at the time that we should have uh, Crossrail as one of the central services within the delivery of the Olympic Games. But uh, from, from the early work we did, we, we felt that actually we had lots of train capacity, but the thing that we needed to do was improve the station capacity. And I think that was a huge lesson to me in understanding understanding the data and doing the work so that you could actually identify 
what the what the problem was. So for Stratford, the main problem was the ability of the station to deal with more than a hundred thousand people in an hour, and it needed a new bridge and new infrastructure. It didn't need any more trains. We had we had more than enough for that. That's really interesting, and and I guess quite a good example of prioritization of certain elements and what the the data is telling you basically in terms of how that plays out i think crucially so because it meant we were able to deliver the games with with what was essential and necessary Mm -hmm. and didn't spend didn't spend money or time on trying to develop um i I guess i guess in different parts of the world they're called you know vanity projects where Mm. you know somebody says well we're going to we're going to develop a rail line that's in the name of the in, in the name of the games. That wasn't necessary for the London Games. What was needed was uh, a kind of a reorganisation of what we already had. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Thank you. Um, if we uh, if we dial down then into the focus of the key topics for today's podcast, um, Roy, you took part in a NLA webinar entitled Embracing Changing Transport Methods earlier this year. Uh, and you also contributed to an article more recently um, talking about shifting the shift. Um, I was wondering if you could take us through those for a bit, please. The the embracing different transport methods, I, I mean, I think, I think the government document, the Department for Transport document that we've got, um, on decarbonizing transport uh, holds some really key elements in there that it's encouraging us now to work towards vision and validate. And I'll, I'll explain um, how that how that relates to what was previously being done, which was predict and provide. And um, it's very, very clear we need to stop um, using predictions that incorporate growth, um, particularly growth in um, sort of car-based transport. And then what we've previously done is got on and built the road systems that can accommodate that predicted growth. And, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole set of debates about whether those small changes in journey time were ever the right thing to use to justify um, additional bypasses and road capacity. I think they probably weren't, but nevertheless, that is what was used. Um, it's massively important that we're moving towards vision and validate. What's our vision? So what's our vision? We, we're, we're, we're touching here on Momentum World City. What's the, what's the vision of the city that you want to work in, live in, uh, bring your children up in, uh, come and socialize in, have your leisure time in. What, what does that city look like? And then we need to set about validating the proposals and schemes that develop and improve and provide that city. If we use predict and provide, we're forever going to keep on adding road capacity for more, more trucks, more cars, more individual transport choices, and it would be precisely the wrong thing to do. So that that would be about how we go about changing our sort of transport planning habits. Um, the second part of your question? Um, it was talking about the article on shifting the shift. 
Shifting the shift is 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 definitely all part of building on uh, gear change. Gear change initiative is about now. We've and we we now do have a commission for active travel, and I think I think that's one of the most important uh, changes we've made with transport nationally. Active travels now, you know, got a, a real leading place in government, um, and we all know the important um, the important elements of that. We've got a, a huge health crisis and um, obesity challenge across the country. We've got a massive level of inactivity. Um, yeah. And the other element of uh, active travel that's very important to, to look at is that we have more than 50% of car journeys, which are less than five miles, which very much could be undertaken by uh, active travel of walking or cycling as the alternative. Um, and it doesn't need um, it doesn't it doesn't need any of us really to have to go away and buy something new or to invest in a new um, piece of sort of transport equipment. We can we can go on a walk or um, 80 percent of people own a bike already or 80 percent of households own a bike already so um, a lot of that's already in place mm. and, and this shift this this approach to shifting the shift has implications for, for our cities as we relook at our ways of of traveling it's it shifts our thinking from simply decarbonizing motor vehicles towards um, taking a more equitable approach to cars and freight and freeing up spaces so that we can then create places that people enjoy spending time in. And that's something, Roy, that, that I, I wanted to ask you about um, in, my, in my next set of, of questions. Um, I've got a three-part question coming your way. <laughs> Apologies for that. Um, so I'm going to list them Thank all you. and then we can come back to them if you'd like. So, so the first um, element of, of that question, I guess, is if you could tell, um, tell us a little bit more about how you, you understand and you define the difference between space and place. And then the second element within that is, is why does it matter? Why is it important that we create these this places? And then thirdly and finally, um, thinking, thinking about Momentum City, what, what are the best places that you've seen over the years and that provide inspiration for your work and for Momentum City? Um, space and place, um, it's, it's about having um, opportunities in our city um, to move through in an enjoyable uh, way. And then that part of our movement is also that we have the opportunity to have a relationship with the space around us. So it's a huge difference from driving through um, the, the, the city and literally um, having the objective to get from A to B as, as, as quickly as you can without necessarily having an awareness of what the impacts are of that on other people. And, and perhaps that's where the, where the kind of the social justice piece comes in, which is it, 
it matters, you know, the the um, the impacts from from that journey. They they matter. They potentially pass on uh, poor air quality, and they and they pass on risk to others as well. So the space. How, how we move between the places is hugely important. Um, in the city of London, um, from a couple of years ago, they, every two years they do um, a, a, a transport survey across the city of all of the movement. And this last one they did started to bring through uh, micromobility. had made it to 0.7% of their of, of, of their transport mode share, so that's starting to feature. But but what they did was, was from two years ago, they started to uh, survey pedestrian movement, and that hadn't been measured before. So imagine that, and, 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 and also how they're a leading example, because that's still taking place across most of London, transport surveys taking place that don't count pedestrians. So in the city, when they started to do that, the pedestrians feature as 80% of the movement, but they're using less than 20% of the space. So that's that's kind of where you start from, really, which is how is that allocation fair? Um, if you're looking at that simply from the perspective of being a vehicle user, you'll go, well, I'm in a... I'm on a big old vehicle here. Of course, I need 80% of the space. Uh, it goes without saying. But it, I think some of that data, and it's back to the data again, helps with rethinking where the priorities should be, how that space should be shared out, and then the importance of, of having places to get to and then to dwell in. And, you know, ab- absolutely the, 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 the work of Yangel in terms of how important it is in cities to have places to dwell, to enjoy, to participate in time with people. And then you link the active travel between those places and you start putting together a city that's, you know, an enjoyable place to be spending time, that feels like a safe place to be, where the air quality is good, um, where spending time there is part of what you want to be, part of what you want to be doing. That's brilliant. Why does it matter? Why does it matter was your second part. Um, well, it matters for loads and loads of reasons, doesn't it? I, you, you, you said right at the beginning of this discussion, it's about um, the social justice. It's about a, a place that's fair and that um, can, be, can be used by everybody. Um, I'm really impressed with the progress that's been made with ULES. And also that ULES has gone ahead and expanded with little objection. It's it's clearly what people want. They want cleaner air. They want cleaner air for themselves. They certainly want it for their children. There's a much greater awareness about the harm that that polluted air is, uh, is, is, is causing to, to health. So that, as a starter, is really important. The the accidents, the the kind of the serious injury and, and death that's that's caused from uh, motor vehicles, it's it's improving per per sort of head of population, but it is increasing and it's increasing because active travel's increasing, and those vulnerable road users, um, as they increase, 
the overall numbers of those personal injury accidents are going up in proportion, although per head of population, it's coming down. So we're beginning to move it in the right direction, but I think it needs a lot more education for um, vehicle users to see how important it is to be going at 20 miles an hour or less because the damage they'll cause is hugely reduced if, if, if they do that. Leading that through into Momentum City, well, I think I've touched on many elements of that. Uh, what starts to put together an enjoyable city, um, a you know, a very uh, a, a very mobility capable city, but one that's actually its purpose is to be an enjoyable place to be with enjoyable activities, and that what we want to be able to do is move between those and of course the transport itself isn't isn't the purpose the purpose is to be to be working and uh, playing and socializing and educating within uh, within the city spaces that we've got Thanks very much, Roy. And we can see that sort of cascade of, of positive externalities that come from um, that distinction between space and place. I wondered if there were a couple of, of examples maybe in, in the projects that we have at, at Momentum that um, provide that inspiration for Momentum City that you'd like to talk about. One of the one of the most impressive we've we've worked on, and I've worked with you, May Lisa, on it now for six years, I think, is the Olympia uh, project. Working through from the initial thinking on on this site at Olympia, with its really really beautiful exhibition uh, spaces, um, already an impressive place with a good history to it, but. Um, out on a limb, really, kind of not 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 a place that people were going to apart from for exhibitions and and conferences. Yet, in a really really interesting part of London, um, and also a, a very very large site, but without other activities there, without other land uses, um, no no kind of other employment uses there, or or kind of startup spaces, which is now coming through as the thinking for Olympia, that there's all sorts of tech startup and startup businesses that will really benefit from having exhibition and conferencing space on site, that that will become um, kind of a great partnership that develops over the years. We'll see really brilliant innovations that come through there as they get developed and we'll start seeing Lots of uh, new businesses starting up there. Nowhere really to eat and drink. There's sort of very, very small handful of places in the local area. So it's going to come through now as a, as a place that people may well walk to or, you know, travel to um, specifically for going out for an evening. It's going to have um, a music venue there as well. Going to have some hotels. So that whole mixture of land uses that's coming through and that association of those land uses with each other, the opportunity for startup businesses to be involved in, in the space, and then all of the thinking and design that's going into the public realm of the area, moving some of that public realm up high so that there are areas uh, for uh, shopping and eating and drinking at another level 
in the in the building, but with great views across the local area. All all of that, from my perspective, is is bringing together um, a place that people are going to be really really enjoy being at. And as part of that, you know, our transport strategy was to close down one of the car parks, uh, turn that into um, turn that into a school with some other leisure activities, and then develop. Um, a logistics strategy that uh, makes best use of the space that's available, plus consolidation to reduce overall the number of vehicles that are going to be uh, coming and going from there. So it feels like quite an important step change to me. Right, well, that um, that sounds really interesting with Olympia, and I'll, I'll definitely be keeping an eye on that to go for a, a drink someday when it's all completed, or or you know, an evening to hang out. That'd be lovely. Um, obviously, when we're looking at, at designing places like Olympia, or, or indeed places in general, we've also got to account for elements like freight deliveries um, within all of that that holistic design approach. Um, the uh, the DFTs decarbonizing transport approach that you touched upon earlier discussed road freight as part of its um, uh, elements. Um, it touched upon that it was a key contributor to carbon emissions in cities. And it also highlighted there was a significant opportunity to decarbonize that last mile. Um, so as part of Momentum City, how would we look to achieve that? Thank you. And um, that's really... that 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 really is one of the most significant areas that we need to carry on working through. One other, one other statistic with that uh, road freight is we, we do seem to accept across central London a high proportion of road freight that doesn't have a purpose in central London, so detailed studies in the city um, indicate that half of the road freight traffic that comes through the city of London doesn't have a purpose in the city at all, doesn't have an origin or destinations literally passing through. And we, we, we really do need to grasp that. And we, we can talk maybe a bit later in this podcast about uh, some of the approaches that should now be coming through that add to ULES and, and perhaps modernise congestion charge. But focusing on the road freight that we do have, um, there's a huge need to consolidate. So the consolidation piece is we need to make better use of the space that we've got in each of those vehicles. Some studies have suggested that most of that road freight is driving around only 40% loaded. So if you, if you consolidated and used 80% of the space that's in the vehicles, you, you could immediately half the overall, the overall number of vehicles. Now, fair enough, takes, takes some planning, takes some organizing, but it is being achieved. There are companies now that are consolidating and, and achieving that. And then you need to have a look at the time of day. Well, when, when is it having the greatest impact in the city? It does it make sense for some of that servicing to take place overnight? Uh, we have a place like the City of London that's saying, absolutely, we want the servicing to come in overnight, but they don't have that many residents, so that's a good option. But then we've got a contradictory uh, set of requirements, which is our, our kind of London lorry ban that prevents 
uh, the movement of some of these vehicles overnight. So we're actually forcing some of that movement into the peak hours when we've got pedestrians moving around. So there's, there's, there's quite a lot we should be doing to make it, uh, make it easier for the night time to be used for some of the freight movement. There are quite a few companies now that are beginning to convert their fleets into electric vehicles. So that helps with the decarbonisation piece. So that, that's beneficial. But the impact on space and the impact on the enjoyment of place, that definitely has to be managed. And so therefore, we need to be developing arrangements where we've got consolidated larger vehicles bringing goods to locations where that can be transferred into a last mile distribution system. That last mile distribution system, certainly to my mind, should absolutely be a network of cargo bikes and the ability for some of that to be delivered on foot. Um, and that's beginning to take place now with light river freight coming in on um, coming in on Bankside, some of um, the sustainable um, last mile schemes that are being developed by some of the operators. So that, that thinking is coming through and we need to build on that more and more. Oh, absolutely. And I, I see more and more of those cargo bikes on the cycles to work in the morning. It's really good to see as opposed to, you know, uh, tons of vans on the roads. They're, 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 they're better neighbours as well when you're on a bike <laughs> yourself. Um, that's for sure. Absolutely. So the um, the DFTs, the decarbonising transport, um, also talks about supporting a modal shift from road to more sustainable alternatives, such as active travel that we've talked about, but also micro mobility. And Roy, I'm quite curious to hear what are your views um, on this, and and how do you think those two elements play a role um, in Momentum City? Um, perhaps, perhaps the toughest question you've asked me so far, because uh, I, 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 I do have some views on it. Micro mobility, I think, is presenting us with an opportunity to see how alternative individual forms of transport can be used. And I'm certainly using some of the e-bikes myself, and they've proved to be really, really convenient. Um, not yet used the scooters, I intend to, but I think we're all aware that there are some safety concerns with them and uh, that uh, there's, there, there, there's been quite a high proportion of um, in injuries to the person using them because of, because of the difficulties with potholes and, su and, and such like. Um, I, I can't see micro-mobility lining up the same as active travel. So it's, it, it's a different mode from my perspective. So it has, it, has a, it has a good opportunity to help people moving around. Um, but perhaps, so, so in, my, in my case, it's moving me away from trips that I might have previously done in taxis between business meetings. I'm now more likely to use micro mobility. So it's a good shift, but 
it's not an active travel shift. Um, and, and, I, and I think we just got to work that through. So I, I definitely can see the benefit of what's coming through with that. Um, I think we can all see the concern about its impact on public realm and pedestrian space and how that, how that feels for pedestrian users and anybody that's perhaps, you know, a bit frail or vulnerable. That's that, you know, we, we've all got daily examples of e-scooters um, rushing by on pavements and, and in those spaces. So I think that's another education piece as well. I, th I think it's really, really important that the users of micromobility uh, bring through responsible use with them. And we used to have to do that with cycling as well. There used to be, you know, when cycling, when cycling didn't have facilities on the road, there were more cyclists on the pavement. And now more space has been made for cyclists. You know, it's hugely noticeable to me. There's much less cycling on the pavement, and we now need we now need to make that sort of educational shift with micro mobility as well, because at present the 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 impact it has on the enjoyment of some of that public realm and spaces is is not is not a helpful one. Yeah, absolutely. It's not a black and white answer to any of those um, any of those questions. And and with every city and every urban spaces and places, we we look at different transport strategy levers that we we can pull and um, help us meet those wider society goals that we've talked about today. And 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 as Momentum City um, unfolds, we'll we'll be exploring issues such as. Um, distance-based user charging and shifting modal priorities and pushing back on on car domination and and achieving um, sort of equitable car-free environments and you know using river rail last mile deliveries and and freight consolidation. So this is all part of a, a much bigger um, jigsaw. And um, so I think Roy, I can honestly say that I, I think we could talk to you all day about transport and how good transport strategy shapes our towns and cities. And really, thank you so much for joining us today. We'd love to have you back uh, and join us again for, for a future episode. Thank you, Maylise. Thank you, Joe. It's been really a real, real pleasure to uh, spend time with you. And thank you for your interesting questions. Very thought-provoking. They definitely had me working uh, to, to, to reach back into the memory with some and to also think through how we want to bring the uh, best options through for Momentum World City, which uh, I feel is going to be very very safe in the hands of the momentum team oh absolutely and thank you again for joining us roy um and we hope you the listener enjoyed the conversation today if you did please be sure to subscribe subscribe to the series so you don't miss any of our future conversations and um, we'd obviously love to hear your thoughts and ideas as well so as always we'll be keeping the conversation going on linkedin find us at momentum transport consultancy and momentum transport canada uh, so please do get in touch with any thoughts or any questions you might have for us from all of us at conversations in momentum bye for now and we'll see you next time